As Mike mentioned, we've been working through the last seven statements of Christ on the cross. And so this is the fourth statement. We're three weeks into this now. And the first two statements were Jesus was hanging on the cross. We're going to read about this today, but he's hanging on the cross completely naked, beaten, bleeding, the pain, the humiliation, and the people around him actually began to make fun of him. The people being crucified next to him begin to make fun of him. And Jesus says two statements in that time. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then as one of the per- one of the thieves who's being crucified next to him mocks, the other one actually displays faith in Christ. And Jesus says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so we see in those first two statements that what Jesus is all about is reconciling us to him. Even in the middle of even in the middle of the pain of the crucifixion, he's reconciling, he's bringing people to him. He's forgiving. And the next statement, which was last week, which was one, quite frankly, I wasn't very familiar with. Jesus is there on the cross. His mom is there in like a horrific scene, I'm sure. And Jesus says to his mom and his, his best friend, John, is there. He says, woman, behold your son. And then he looks at his best friend, John, and says, this is your mother. And he's kind of joining these two people together to make like this family um, because he knows what they're going through is so painful and devastating for them both. And there's going to be this hole that's left. And in those statements, we see the compassion of Jesus. And then in the statement we're going to read today, it is when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we're going to begin to see the gospel, the heart of the gospel being played out on the cross. He was literally forsaken, forsaken by God. And so today our theme is going to be God forsaken. Now, like anybody who gets any assignment to talk about anything, the first thing I did when Mike sent me these verses and said this is what it needs to be about was I went to Google because that's what you do anytime you have a question about anything. And I had in my mind, I'm going to find like the most God forsaken place on earth and I'm going to show a picture of it. And it's going to like lay the foundation for us on what it's like to be forsaken by God. And I thought like maybe it's going to be like some desert in Mongolia where there's just nothing or maybe some like little town in some like snowy area of Russia because like the Olympics are going on. I was like, maybe so she's it, you know, like uh, maybe that's the most God forsaken place on earth. And, uh, you know, maybe it's some t- like maybe it's some town in southeast Arkansas. I don't know. So I type it into Google like we do. And this is what comes up. I, I can tell you that Google does know where the most God forsaken place on earth is. And it's actually the Lexington Inn in Brooklyn, New York. Um, the travel, uh, the trip advisor, um, reviewer Steph 2058 said it was the most awful godforsaken place on earth. And then down in the comments, she said, we checked in our room. It smelled so bad of cigarettes and air freshener. The toilet would not flush. And we sat and cried because what else do you to do at that moment? Right. And then I like the headline of the other one in the corner. Do not stay in the basement of this hotel. I mean, when I travel for work, we stay in Marriott's. Like, I wouldn't stay in the basement of a Marriott. Like, I'm definitely not staying in the basement of the Lexington Inn. Um, and I realized two things as I was doing this. Number one, that there's a side of Brooklyn, New York that they never show on Food Network. And the other thing I realized was that you and I are actually going to have a hard time grasping what it means to be forsaken by God. Because for most of us, this is kind of our reference point. And actually, if you were to turn it to something serious, sadly, most of us are so used to our God-forsaken lives 
that we're not even capable of understanding what could be. And so today we're going to go on a journey and we're going to start at the very beginning. We're going to go back and we're going to see how we were made to live. Then we're going to see how we ended up in this God forsaken place. And then we're going to see how Jesus chose to be forsaken. And the big thing we're going to learn today together is this, that because he was forsaken, we never will be. Because he was forsaken, we never will be. Let's start by reading together what's happening with Jesus on the cross. Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to start in verse 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but he did not taste it. He would not drink it. And then they had crucified him. They divided his garments among them by casting lots. And they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. You are the son of God. Come down on the cross. And so also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocking him, saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he has said, I'm the son of God. And the robbers were crucified with him, also reviled him in this way. Naked, bleeding, beating, beaten and broken and being mocked in front of everyone. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour and about the ninth hour. Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was forsaken, we never will be. But before we can get to that, we got to go way back and understand something about ourselves. And the truth is, if we miss this truth about ourselves, what you just read won't mean to you what it should mean. So let's just go back together and let's try to grasp the truth of us. And here's the truth of you and I in our lives apart from Christ. And that is real simple that we're forsaken. All this forsaking and Jesus being forsaken and him not forsaking us. It all begins with this truth that apart from Christ, our lives, we are forsaken. We're void of God in our life. And it goes way back to the beginning, and we have to think about for just a moment how we were created to live. And that is this, Adam and Eve were created to live in perfect relationship with God. And for some time they did that. The Bible talks about how God would walk with them and talk with them. In the very beginning, there was no sin, and they were perfectly connected to one another and living in perfect relationship with God. But then something happens along the way. Living in perfect relationship with God, which is how they were designed to live, becomes not enough for them. They want to be like God. That's what Satan told them. They could be like God. And so what did they do? What did they do? They violated the one command God gave them and chose to eat of the fruit of the tree that God told them not to because they wanted to be like God. And that gets us to Genesis chapter 3, where this man and woman who were created to live in relationship with God and were living in perfect relationship with God are now hiding from God. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. And that act by them 
broke. They forsake God. And that leaves you and I living lives every day on our own that are God forsaken. Because what the Bible tells us in Romans is that their act extends to all of us. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Sin came into the world through one man. Who was the one man? Uh, excuse me? Adam. Okay, thanks. Don't be scared. <laughs> and death through sin. I mean, it was Adam or Jesus. Like you, I mean, you know, you only have like four choices, right? <laughs> sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. The consequence of Adam's choice was death. But look, not just for him, for you and for me. So death spread to all men because we've all sinned. And the worst part about sin, the worst part about sin is the consequence of it. Now, we talk about the consequences of sin a lot, right? We talk about, you know, one of the consequences of sin is that it makes you not a very good dad. You know, you lose your temper, you're, you're a selfish dad who just wants to sit on the couch and watch basketball and you get mad at your kids and they get in your way, right? We talk about sin, maybe we get a little deeper, like, you know what, it, it undermines relationships and marriages because we're so selfish and it just makes husbands and wives kind of grind against one another. And some of us have had experiences of other people's sin in our life that are really, really dark, victims of abuse and of pain. And then we talk about, you know, people who are in, in India who are stuck in sex trafficking and all this stuff as a result of sin. Can I tell you that all those things are true and all those things are heartbreaking, but they're not the ultimate consequence. They're not the worst thing about sin. This is the worst thing about sin. The ultimate problem with sin is that it breaks our relationship with God. That's the ultimate issue. It's not that you're not as good of a dad as you would be if you didn't sin so much. It's not that your marriage is more broken than it would be if you didn't sin so much. The ultimate issue of all of our sin for all of us is that it breaks our relationship with God. And this is how the New Testament describes us living our lives apart from Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, it says that we who were once alienated and actually hostile in mind doing evil deeds... In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, and when we were separated from Christ, we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. And then look at this verse. Having no hope and without God in the world. No hope and without God in the world. That is the definition of being forsaken. And even though it was Adam and Eve who forsake God, it was us who forsake him. He didn't forsake us. We forsook him. It leaves us feeling the consequences of living without God. No hope. Alienated. Hostile towards him. Doing evil without God in the world. And can I tell you something? From the woman who's stuck in sex trafficking in a third world country to the family living in the nicest house in Pinnacle Hills, this is the biggest problem for all of us. Our relationship with God is broken. And I don't know that we feel that the way that we should. I don't know that the weight of that sinks into us as much as it should, but what happens to Jesus will mean nothing if we don't just draw close to that and say, yeah, that is me apart from Christ. So apart from Christ... Apart from the cross, we're forsaken. The greatest problem with sin for all of us is that it breaks our relationship with God. 
But remember where we're going today? We're, we're going to say that because he was forsaken, we'll never be. And so let's just start with this as the next step is that because we are forsaken, he was forsaken. Because we are forsaken, he was forsaken. And that's why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I was talking to someone after first service who said, you know what? I've never been able to comprehend that verse because as a dad, how do you forsake your kids? And I mean, everybody, anybody who's a parent, you think about and you know, and it's really frustrating if small kids, you know, at some point, like, you know, this kid's going to like stick a knife in my heart some way, maybe like a thousand different ways. But you're like the from the minute that kid is born to the minute you breathe your last breath. You, you just love them and you would never forsake them. That's just, it's this natural thing. That's how a parent is. And yet here we find God forsaking the son. How can that be? And part of the answer for that is in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13, Old Testament book. And it says this about God, that God's eyes are too pure to approve evil and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. The only way that I can understand that it would be possible for God to forsake his son would be for all of the sin of every person of everyone in the world to be on that one person for that moment. It's the same thing that led us to be forsaken. Our lives were forsaken because of sin. We chose sin and we forsake God. God responds by placing our sin on Jesus and forsaking him. And this is really the ultimate pain of the cross. How many of you seen them? The Mel Gibson movie. It was like came out a long time ago. Passion of the Christ. Yeah. So you watch that and it's just so violent, right? I mean, it's just so brutal and it's real. And like that moves you. I mean, if you can watch that and not cry, like, I mean, you have a heart of stone. I mean, it's just, it's brutal, right? Just watching that happen to a person. And, and Caleb next week is going to talk some of like the physical pain of the cross but the ultimate pain of the cross wasn't the physical brutality. It was this. The ultimate pain of the cross was that Jesus' relationship with God was broken. That's the ultimate pain. Because this is the worst thing that can happen to anyone. To have a relationship with God broken. Matter of fact, remember how Adam and Eve, we said they lived in this perfect relationship with God before sin? How they were created to live? Can I tell you something that that's also how Jesus lived his life before the cross? He lived in such perfection and intimacy with God that he actually described it this way. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I and my father are one. We're so close. We're one. That's how intimate and connected we are. And now we find that same person saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's all because the reason that happened is because your sin and my sin was put onto him. John MacArthur says it this way. He says, in some way and by some means, in the secrets of divine sovereignty and omnipotence, the God man was separated from God for a brief time at Calvary. As the furious wrath of the father was poured out on the sinless son, who in matchless grace became sin for those who believed. This is the very heart of the gospel that the sinless one became sin for you and that's what ultimately led to him being forsaken it says in the new testament in second corinthians chapter 5 that he made him who knew no sin who knew no sin 
Go with the other choice this time. Who knew no sin? Jesus. He was the one who didn't know sin. He made him to be sin. That is God made Jesus to be sin. Why? For you, for us. First Peter chapter two, verse 24. He himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree. First Peter chapter three, verse 18. Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. As Jared said, the most unfair way possible. The sin was put on him. And this is the heart of the gospel. This is the core message of Christianity that your sin and my sin leaves me forsaken. But your sin and my sin is put on Jesus, him taking our place, him being forsaken for you and for me. And it leads us to the last thing, which is the most incredible, amazing truth. And that is this, because he was forsaken, we never will be. We will never be forsaken. Because he did that. He took that. He was forsaken. We never will be forsaken. Second Corinthians chapter five. These are the same verses we just read. Look at the ending of these verses. He knew him who knew. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that we could become the righteousness of God. He bore his sins in his own body on the tree so that we who have died to sin might live for righteousness by his stripes. You were healed. Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. And this summarizes it so that he could bring us to God. That's why he was forsaken. And the result of that is that we will never be forsaken. Now, that's the truth. Let's talk about reality for a minute. I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable for a second. I'm going to be vulnerable. How many of you who say, I know I have a relationship with God, can look back at some time in your life or maybe you're in the middle of it right now and say, there's definitely been a time where I felt like God had just forsaken me. He had just abandoned me. Anybody feel that way? Raise your hands. Don't be ashamed. I'm raising mine. Yeah, that's real, right? And can I tell you something? That that's been real for everybody who's followed God from almost the beginning of time until now. As a matter of fact, um, I want us to talk a little bit to end here about what it's like when we, if we, if we're never going to be forsaken, then why is it that we feel forsaken? I want to end with this. Two, two thoughts. And the first thing is, you know, sometimes we feel forsaken, but we're really not. Sometimes we feel forsaken, but we're really not. And that's the situation for those of us who follow Christ. And Jesus actually on the cross when he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting David, who lived a long, long time before Christ, wrote most of the book of Psalms. And he's quoting this Psalm 22 where David, who was in the middle of a crisis in his life, was crying out to God saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? We've all come to a place or you will come to a place where you feel like God is so far from helping you. And the words of my mouth, my groaning, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I'm not silent. And, you know, I've been there. Um, and I'll just tell you about my experience with feeling forsaken and kind of some things that I think I want God wants you to hear today. Um, Twelve, twelve years ago, we lived in Colorado. I was twenty three and we were coming back for a family reunion. We always had a Lake of the Ozarks every year. And um, my sister and I are in the car behind my brother, and my mom, and my dad, and they're pulling a boat back to go to Lake of the Ozarks. And there's an accident. And the car that my dad is riding as a passenger in flips like and we're watching and it flips like six times on on the highway 
and my dad is killed instantly. Now, my dad pastored a big church in Denver, and he was a really good, he was a great man and a great dad. And I'll never forget in the months, and even still today sometimes, you watch the news at night, and you see some accident, you know, some drunk driver plows into somebody, and that guy walks away. And I just remember so clearly in those first couple of years after my dad died, and like, God, like, how does that work? I mean, here's a pastor who's like saving people, and here's a drunk guy who lives. Like, I, I don't understand. And, and what happened from that, from that July day in Hayes, Kansas, for the next couple of years, just this cloud of darkness in my life, and just feeling like I didn't know what God wanted me to do. I didn't know if he cared. I didn't know where he was. I couldn't see him. I couldn't feel him in my life. It was just really, really a dark spot. It felt like I was forsaken. And a lot of other stuff came up in that time, stuff that had happened to me as a kid that I'd never really dealt with. And then all of a sudden you just begin to like, you just feel like the whole world's collapsed on you sometimes. You're like, holy cow, like this dark place, a lot of stuff. And I know that there's some people in our church right now going through a lot of stuff, some similar stuff, right? I think about the McCullers and the, the accident that um, Will and Sam and Jake were in Wednesday night and where they're at in the hospital room in Little Rock right now and, I just want to remind you for someone who's been in that situation and someone who's talking about it today of this verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's real. And he was with me that day on that highway in Kansas and on every dark day after that. He was with Will and Jake and Sam Wednesday night on the way home. And he's with you as you try to get pregnant or as you try to put your marriage back together or as you try to struggle through looking for a job. He's there in the middle, even when you can't feel, see, or know him. Can I just remind us that the truth is this. He will never leave you or forsake you. So that's one reason we might feel forsaken is that we feel forsaken, but we're not. And the reality there is that he'll never leave you, forsake you. But can I go back and say there's another reason you might feel forsaken today. And that is that you actually are still forsaken, but you don't have to be. And what I mean by that is this. See, that first group of people who maybe feel forsaken or not have a relationship with God and just going through um, a dark time where there's just things in life that prevent them from seeing God's hand. But there's also, I think, in a room this size, certainly people who are still living way back in point number one that we talked about, where they've never began a relationship with God. And can I just tell you what we've just said today? Is that if that's the case for you, then you're still forsaken. You're living your life, as Paul said, with no hope and without God in the world. And life wasn't meant to be lived that way, and you don't have to live that way in your life. And I love this Old Testament verse that talks about salvation and the way that it talks about salvation. The book of Isaiah, chapter 62, verse 4, paints the picture this way. It says that when we come to a place where we accept Christ, this is what becomes true about us, that no more will you be termed forsaken. And your land shall no more be desolate, but you will be called, my delight is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land should be married. Um, 
kind of a weird way of thinking because like none of us are farmers. At least I don't, don't think any of you are. Um, but it's this idea of this dry, broken land that's just been left unattended. And when Christ comes into it, it's not desolate anymore. It's a place of amazing wonder and depth of relationship with him. And if you're in that second group today, you don't have to be forsaken. You don't have to live that way. You're not supposed to live that way, that there's an opportunity for you today to leave here in relationship with God because of the cross and the way that you were meant to live. I'm going to ask you to put your Bibles and pens down, and I want to end with something a little bit different today. We don't do this very often, and it's going to take a minute, but I just felt like this is the appropriate way to end um, our time together this morning. And that is, I want to pray over two groups of people here today, and it's the group of people we just talked to. And so I'm going to ask everyone just to, um, and it might be a little weird if you're not used to this, just close your eyes, bow your head, just kind of block out any other distractions. Um, but if you're here today and you're in kind of that group of people that would say, hey, Brett, like, I know I have a relationship with God, but I feel like he's forsaken me. I just can't see him, feel him, know him in my life. I'm going to ask you just to um, privately look, look up at me and just kind of make eye contact with me so I can pray for you in, over the next minute or two. Just look right here and I can pray for you that you would understand the truth that you'll never be forsaken. Father, I pray for every person who's looking at me. God, I've been in that spot where it's just hard to see you. It's hard to know you. It's hard to believe you. Father, I pray that the hearts and minds of everyone looking at me right now would be saturated with the truth that you will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for that promise. God, thank you that you are with us in every dark moment, no matter how big it feels or how small it feels, you're there. You never leave. You never leave. And I pray that these people will be able to feel your presence in their lives. I want you to continue to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to talk for a minute to those of you who are maybe in that second group of people that you're still living life forsaken that you can't look back in your life and see a time, a place, a reference point where you know you recognized how forsaken your life was on its own and you put your complete faith and trust in Jesus and you believed in the forgiveness he offered for the cross and gave him control of your life. If you're in that situation today, I'm going to ask you to look at me and just make eye contact. And I just want to talk to you just for a minute. You don't have to live that way. And maybe right now, I can't pray this prayer for you, but maybe in your mind and in your heart, you need to pray something like this and just talk to God on your own and say, God, my life is forsaken. I'm living without you. It's not how I was made to live. I believe in what you've done on the cross. And I want to follow you. You put something like that in your own words to Christ. And the Bible says that when we do that, that no longer are we desolate. No longer are we forsaken. Jared's going to lead us in worship. We always end with a time of response today. And 
no matter where you are, can I just remind you again of a couple of things? That apart from him, you're totally forsaken. But because he was forsaken, we never will be. Let that truth just come into your heart and into your mind as we worship today.